I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, and this is The Exam Room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Thanks for giving it a listen. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Also now on Spotify, wherever it is that you get your favorite podcasts. An important show today, all about Alzheimer's. It's a disease that erases a person's memories, their thoughts. It has devastated millions of families, and we're still searching for a cure. The good news is that we have figured out a way to lower your risk of developing the disease. You see, it's all about your diet. It's about what you eat, or more importantly, what you don't eat. In just a little while, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Neil Barnard, who's going to share what foods can dramatically lower your risk of developing the disease. But we start with the love story. Rashern Baker is the county executive for Prince George's County, just outside of Washington, D.C. He leads 900,000 residents. And I spoke with him recently as he was campaigning to become the next governor of Maryland. Indeed, Rashern Baker is passionate about politics, but his true love is at home. His wife was diagnosed with early onset dementia in the prime of her life. She was a devoted mother, a trusted political advisor, and a highly respected civil rights attorney. But in the blink of an eye, all of that changed. She can no longer speak, she can no longer walk, and taking care of her every day is an immense undertaking. But as you'll hear, it's never a burden, for it's a labor of love, a love that burns as brightly as ever. Here now, my conversation with Rashern Baker. This is The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. The weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, here with you on Twitter, at Chuck Carroll, WLC. The show, at PCRM, and if you're on the gram, at Physicians Committee as well. Lots of pretty pictures, lots of good information. Today's show, all about Alzheimer's. This is a topic that is near and dear to so many of us, myself in particular, but also for my guest. He is the county executive of Prince George's County here in Maryland and also a gubernatorial candidate for the state. With that, we welcome Mr. Rashern Baker to the program. Hello. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you. It is an absolute pleasure. Now, I will say that I've known uh, Mr. Baker here for some time. Uh, Began covering Prince George's County when I was still a cub reporter for CBS. But uh, I feel like you and I always had a kinship. We did. We did. You know, I was always jealous of the fact that you were in better shape. But, you know, that's uh, I got I got over that. You know, it wasn't (laughs) always the case. The weight loss champion gimmick didn't come until after I had lost the weight. I know it just but you did it so well and just the advocacy for it. But yes, we have been very close. We, we've actually run a couple of miles together. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember hounding uh, your press aide about, you know, <laughs> when, when's he going to run? When's he going to run? And God bless Scott. You know, I, I don't live in Prince George's County. I live in Montgomery County, which is another suburb here in mm-hmm. D.C. But Scott, who's your press aide, he would, I mean, I'm not even, I don't know if I ever told you this. He would text me, you know, like, the county executive is going to run in such and such a place in Prince George's County in 20 minutes. Can you be there? <laughs> Meanwhile, like I'm up close to Frederick and that's what, like a, almost an hour away. Exactly. I was like, well, tell him to keep on running. <laughs> and I, I will, I will see him next time, Scott. 
<laughs> that sounds like us. <laughs> um, but let, let's get serious here and and talk about uh, Alzheimer's and, and dementia because I know that that is something that um, touches very close to home for you with with your wife. Yes. No, it, it does. I mean, for and a lot of people know our story, um, but for your for your listeners and viewers that don't, you know, at the beginning of my administration as county executive, I just won. Um, the election. I was county executive elect. And actually, it goes back further than that. I was about to announce I was running for county executive for the third time. You right. know, Chuck, that I ran three times. And a month before I was going to announce, um, my wife, who had been having issues, and we thought it may be depression uh, or something like that, we'd uh, been going to the doctors for two years to try and figure out what was going on. She was 48 at the time when we started doing going to the doctors um a month before just before probably two months before her 50th birthday um she was diagnosed with early onset dementia Mm -hmm. which threw us all in a tailspin for a couple of reasons one she was so young yeah and we associate dementia and um alzheimer's with um older folks and and two she had uh, no history of um of this in her family and so, you know, here we are, we get this diagnosis, and my first reaction when they told me this and I'm in the room with her is, okay, well, now that we know what it is, that's okay, well, let's go ahead and deal with it. What medicines are available for her? Mm-hmm. And the doctor said very frankly to me, he said, well, there's nothing we can do. Um, we can't tell you how fast it will progress, um, but it will progress, and there is no cure, and the outcome is certain. You know, and so that began a journey that we continue to this day. That must have felt like a real kick in the gut. That's a difficult discussion for any family to have. Devastating news. It was was really hard um, for me um, because, one, when when she was finally diagnosed, it was a hard thing because what, you know, let the doctor know that, that this is what it was is that, uh, when he asked our children, we have I have three children, you know that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he asked her their names. She told them. And then she, he asked their ages, and she couldn't tell. Mm. She couldn't tell their, you know, the children. I mean, she did everything, you know, for our family for not. And that became it. Then a series of other questions were asked, and it, it was difficult. I think if, if if I've learned anything, and I say this anytime anyone asks me to speak about, you know, our journey. Biggest mistake I made in the beginning, which I think a lot of people do, which is why I hope your viewers won't do this, is that you go into a denial period. And for me, I had two, um, I had three, you know, two adult children at the time, and my youngest was in high school. Uh, but I just couldn't tell my girls, you know, what was going on. And so I didn't. For a long time, they just knew mommy was not the same. Right. But they didn't know what it was. And my son knew. Uh, but I just didn't know how to tell them that, you know, their mother who had taken care of them and who uh, had done all these things for the family would not be uh, there for them in a way that they were used to. And especially the youngest who was still in still in high school. And it was a mistake because, um, you know, as she progressed and things just became very clear, um, it made it harder to tell the, the girls that, um, well, here's what it is. Um and when I finally did, it made it better 
for us to make a decision as a family. But it was really hard to make decisions um, about, you know, what would we what we do around the house in terms of um, mommy's ability to to drive, to pick them up, right. to uh, be a responsible parent. And outside of the home, she was also an attorney. She had a thriving career, correct? Yeah, she. Um, I mean, you know, I I, I tell people this. Um, you know, my wife is ridiculously smart, talented. Um, in terms of income, she was a breadwinner. You know, it was not me. I was the, you know, the lowly public servant. Um, but she was the government affairs director for the United Negro College Fund for the entire organization. Uh, she had worked on Capitol Hill for Bill Gray when he was the um, the whip uh, yeah. of, the, of the house. So she had high-powered jobs. She was a board member for ACLU, and her passion was the abolition of the death penalty. And so – she was a civil rights lawyer and a very accomplished one and um, worked at the highest levels of um, advocacy around social justice issues. So to go from that to almost immediately not being able to to um, to speak, right, um, to put a sentence together, um, you know, and there in the first year was really hard because people who knew her knew her as someone very tough, sharp, and she became – you know, in the first year of the diagnosis, a really sweet lady, you know, but not, you know, um, a tough, sharp lawyer, which is what she had been. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, made people aware that there was something wrong um, even before we announced. And so it was hard. It was hard to see. It's hard to see the person who bought our houses, bought our cars, made every family decision there is um, to now not being able to do that. So when you had that initial conversation with the doctor, he said that he didn't know how rapid that decline was. No. But to hear you tell this story now, it sounds like it advanced it, pretty quickly. It, it advanced much quicker than I ever thought um, and, and ever could could hope. Um, within that year, that it was 010, you know, I got elected. I was sworn in in December, probably by uh, – February of 20, just before her 51st birthday, it was clear that she no longer could be left alone. Mm. So within a year, it was a rapid decline, which is not unusual, but usually when you have early onset, you have a couple of years where, you know, the function, um, they, they could, the person functions at a reduced level. Sure. Hers was rapid. And how did you you balance that if she couldn't be alone? I mean, you had just gotten sworn into office, and as you and I have talked about off the air, that's a a seven-day-a-week job. If something happens in the county on Saturday or Sunday, you have to be there. And even if there isn't something breaking in the county, you have events almost it seems like 24 7 from an outsider. No, I was I was we as a family were very blessed. Um my youngest daughter, who was 15 at the time, um, you know, just stepped in in a way in the beginning without even knowing what was going on, just immediately went into operation mode of, you know, from daughter to, to actually caregiver yeah. for my wife and made it possible um, for me to do my job in the sense that I would, you know, get my wife ready in the morning, um, assist her. At that time, she could do most of the stuff herself, set up some, um, you know, activities for her. And then I'd go to work, and then my daughter would, you know, 
uh, go to school, and then my daughter would come back home. Um, you know, um, I would check on my wife during the midday, so I'd leave a meeting, come home, make sure she was all right, go back to the meeting, and then I knew my daughter would be home at four o'clock or five o'clock. She would step in to make sure my wife ate, and then I'd be there at the night. And that's how we functioned uh, for almost two years. But it really was, you know, my children. It was my youngest daughter and the middle child who would who was at St. Mary's College and would come home, and that sustained us for um, for two years. It was a hard hard two years because during that time, and when you when you um, and you know this, but and tell your listeners that um, people who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia go through a period of time where they hallucinate, mm. and it's really to de- hard to deal with. Um, and we had a period where uh, it happened with us, and the only people that um, my wife could be around without really just, um, you know, um, not recognizing who they are um, were were my youngest daughter, uh, my middle child, not even my son, um, because he had been away at college for about seven years, you know, and she just didn't recognize him as a grown up. Yeah, um, and myself. So that was the that was the world. We had to be with her. We couldn't leave her with anyone else. We couldn't drop her off at a uh, at a um, daycare center. Um, one of us had to always be with her in her presence or else, you know, something bad would happen. And so it just made it, it meant that on the weekends, what I would do is, uh, take her with me. You know, I would take her to whatever the function was. Yeah. Um, and I would make sure that I put her in a place where she could see me and, um, and then, um, you know, I carry on. I tell this story, uh, and if I can real quick about you know, the the late Wayne Curry, um, who's a close friend of my wife and I. He was county executive of Prince George's County and good friends of ours. And so a few people knew before we went public. He was one of them. And I had to give it a um, – the new president of University of Maryland, Dr. Lowe, was being um, sworn in. Mm-hmm. And I needed to be there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I didn't have anyone to leave my wife with. So – um, I brought her with me, but I needed to go on the stage. And so I say to, I said to Mr. Curry, I said, well, listen, I hate to do this, but if you just have her sit with you and if she can see me, it's going to be fine. Um, I should only be there an hour. She's usually good for about an hour before she gets restless and, and irritable. Um, and I'm on the stage and for the first hours, it was great. It worked. And, but the thing was the program ran over. I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. I can see that she's starting now to be uncomfortable with the surrounding. She doesn't know what to do. And I look at, you know, Mr. Curry, and um, I knew he had to leave early because he had told me that. And I see him stand up, and I was like, oh, my God, he's going to leave my wife there. And, you know, I'm on stage literally crying. Because I'm just helpless. I can't move. There are cameras there. I see my wife. I don't know how to get a message. And he stands up. And, you know, I'm looking at him. And next thing I know, he grabs her purse. He grabs her. And he walks out with her. (laughs) And I just think, 
you know, I, and I'm going from these tears to just thinking, what an amazing person. Because yeah. clearly she she was there. To, but so when I when I think of that story, I think how blessed we are to have I, my family and I to have friends like that. But it also was a story that was the motivation for dementia-friendly Prince George's. Right. You need people who are aware that there's something. They don't need to know what it is. They just need to know there's something different and in a way that's that they can help without being intrusive. And so that story, and there are many others, that made me realize as I was going through my daily journey and my work that there are so many people out there who helped me in ways that allowed me to do my job. But it also reminded me, doing my job, reminded me the fact that I'm blessed as county executive that somebody picks me up, you know, in the morning. I have a detail. They drop me off at night. Um, I have a lot of resources at my disposal. I have, you know, health care and, and met doctors. But other people don't. And so how do we make sure everyone has the same opportunities and support that, that I have um, by right? I mean, really, it should be that way. And it seems to me <clears throat> that... Uh, you have this going on. You just told the story about Mr. Curry, and you've continued to push on in this office. We will circle back to the initiatives because what you have done in Prince George's County, by the way, is really remarkable, and you should be commended for that. Um, but how difficult has it been for you to decide to keep pursuing a political career now that your time as county executive is coming to close and now you're in this gubernatorial campaign? That's another full-time job. Yeah. No, it was it was that was a family decision and it wasn't an easy one. Um and when I say family, it's all of us. My my wife, myself, um uh, the three children who are young adults, um, all got together and said, Okay, you know, I'm you know, I'm thinking about running for governor. Mm-hmm. And we know this is gonna be, you know, a hard road uh to go down. It's gonna be time consuming. Uh what do we think? And um, I have to tell you, it wasn't 100 percent that, yes, you, this is a good, a good way to, you know, uh, spend your time. But what made me ultimately decide, you know, the, the kids put their vote in. There were some things that they demanded that I do. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I've lived up to every last one of them. Um, but what ultimately made me decide to, to run um, for governor was that um, I took a weekend – where my wife and I just went off alone. And to, to set the stage so people know, um, my wife no longer is verbal. She can't communicate. Um, and she cannot walk. And she can't really walk anymore. Um, and so we went away. Um, but we've been married, you know, 32 years. So you kind of know uh, what someone's thinking. And it was when we went away and we thought about, I thought about our journey together, not as through the Alzheimer's, but our journey together in life. And it was really around public service. You know, she didn't run for office, but she advocated for issues she cared deeply about. And that was her passion, Mm -hmm. changing policies that would impact people's lives. And that's what drew us together as a couple. You know, we went from friends to being married based on that that. And so when I thought about what I wanted to do next, it was really to continue that work. Great if we can do it in a public setting, um, but it was to continue that work around how do we make people's lives better? How do we take the information, training, and opportunities that we have 
and make sure other people have the same and we make people's lives better. And that ultimately led to the decision to run for governor. When I went back to the kids, I said, you know what? This is what we do. This is what your mom and I have dedicated our lives to. And if I let the fact that she has, um, that we have challenges in our family uh, stop me from pursuing what we care about, that means people who want to go ahead and get their doctorate degree or go out and work, um, who have family members or a spouse or a sibling that has this disease, is prevented from doing that because, you know, I can't do anything but sit here. Um, And I wanted to show people that, you know, you could do it, but we also made the, the decision that at any time that I felt I couldn't do my job as county executive or be able to run and compete with the individuals equally, then I wouldn't do it. Right. That 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 would be a big caveat, you know, yeah. with, with the time crunch. Um, are the kids concerned at all? Because this is such a hereditary disease, a genetic disease. Are they concerned for their own health down the line? Yeah, I, I honestly say I, I – my gut reaction would be no. They're, you know, they're amazing. They're they're an, they're an amazing group of uh, young people, and um, probably the only time I cry these days. I think for the first two years when she, my wife was diagnosed, my daughter and I cried every day. You know, um, the only time I really cry is when I see you know my children doing something. I think what a marvelous job my wife did raising them. I had very little to do with it, and uh, but no, they kicked into. Well, how do we raise money? How do we raise awareness? What do we do around this disease? And that is really their focus. There is, you know, um, they're, they're, other than my son, you know, they're not too keen about doing political stuff. But when it comes to the Alzheimer's and raising money, raising awareness, because their their thought pattern was how do we make sure people get everything that we've gotten and more? And how do we make sure that there is a cure, that you know, the next person who walks into a doctor's office isn't told that your loved one um, has uh, dementia and Alzheimer's and there's nothing you can do. And I think part of that awareness, one of the better stories that uh, at least part of the story that put a smile on my face is, is a family. You all got tattoos. Isn't that correct? We did. We got them right here. And it, it was and once again, it wasn't my idea uh, <laughs> or my son's. Both of us are, you know, uh, are chicken. Um but, you know, the, the girls, you know, and I think it was my middle child who actually always has the best quotes, um, Asia, as you can call it, middle. So, you know, she she talked about maybe we should – we were looking at ways to raise money. Right. You know, we wanted to raise a significant amount of money so that Prince George's County would have its own chapter mm-hmm. um, of Alzheimer's Association in the county. And she said, well, we should all get – matching tattoos you know she and her sister have you know matching tattoos of things that my wife had done and um we called our i called my son and i said listen we're all going to do this if they raise i think it was i think we we put it at ten thousand dollars ended up raising close to twenty thousand outstanding um but yeah you know um and so we got the tattoos but the quote that she yeah, my daughter said was um someone said well you know tattoos are permanent and she <laughs> really <laughs> so she kind of looks back and she didn't skip a beat you know and she said well the effect that alzheimer's has on our family is permanent and so i think it's fitting that you get something like this that's going to be permanent and i was like 
that is really good. That's deep. That was deep. I was I was sitting there like you are your mother's child. Yeah. Um, that that is a solid quote. That's a that's a t-shirt right there. You know what that that may be right. I I looked I was like I was amazed. You know, not amazed, but I was just I wouldn't have thought of anything that quick. For sure. Um and, and real quick before we touch on the initiatives, I think that a, a big part of caretaking is also making sure that the caretaker takes care of themselves. And for me, being big into fitness and, and nutrition, I know that one of the things that we bonded over, as we said at the top, was you like to run. You like to take care of yourself. Throughout this journey, how important have you found that to be to also oh, make sure that you, you take it, care it, of yourself? It was extremely – it's been extremely important. Um at the time, once again, going back to Wayne Curry, um, I was probably two months into the job, and you you know this, Chuck, two months into the job, and I had gained 30 pounds. Um, the stress of the job, the stress of trying to deal uh, with my wife, and, um, you know, I just didn't exercise. I didn't do anything. I couldn't, I couldn't run a mile, right. and I'd always been pretty athletic, but I cut out all the things that I was doing because I wanted to focus on being county executive and focus on my wife so you know running and playing tennis and all that stuff was cut out and you know the uh, Wayne Curry who was advising me came in and you know um and the only way that he could do it he was, he just you know, very colorful guy and he said listen you got a lot going on in your life you know you're worried about your wife you're worried about the county he said you're not eating right you're not sleeping um if you don't watch it, you're not going to live through the first year. Wow. And who's going to take care of your wife if you're not here? You need to, you know, um, take a day off and you need to exercise. And that started me, and we talked about this, that started me running with the cadets, the police cadets. Yep. You know, I, I started out and it was really embarrassing because, you know, you think you're an athlete. You still think you're 19 years old. I got out there with them and they were doing two miles. And uh, in the first, you know, mile, I just could not do anything else. I had to get in, get in the truck. But it made me aware that, you know what, I'm going to set aside time in the morning to run. I'm going to have a book in the car and to read. Um, I'm going to try the best I can to eat right. And I will say this. I managed that was the first term, the first year as county executive. My goal at the time was to be able to run uh, the Army 10-miler. Yeah. And um, not only did we meet that goal, we eventually, I got to to the point where I could actually do a marathon. There you go. Marathon yeah. man. Yeah, just one, though. <laughs> um, and I signed up for it. I'm going to do a half marathon. I mean, I'm going to do a 10-miler in Baltimore uh, this this coming Saturday. I did the um, Frederick Half Marathon. So running and making that a part of it. I've kept a pretty good schedule because y- you need to be – you need to take care of yourself so you can take care of your loved one. Um, I think the only thing that's thrown me off is the run for governor. That, <laughs> that messed up the sleeping part. And it also messed up the exercise to the extent that to the extent that I think I should. Um, but I'm still out there. But it's it's a big part. Health and exercising and watching your weight is so important to be able to have the energy to do the things that you need to do. Yeah, and and the eating right part, that's a that's a big portion of the show and we'll have Dr. Barnard on in the next segment and he's going to explain the link between nutrition and uh, Alzheimer's disease. It's it's really quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um 
when they say that you are what you eat. There's no cure for this, and there's no guarantee that you won't get it if you, you know, eat your fruits and vegetables per se. But if you eat your fruits and vegetables, it does dramatically lower your risk. And there's a lot of research behind that. And so mm-hmm. that's that to me is a real important message to get out there. You know? No, I, I think it's a, absolutely one of the things that that we did do um, in, when my wife was diagnosed was look at her diet and oh. get a diet dietitian in there just now for the first time looked at, um, you know, what things were good to just, you know, prolong um, – you know, her ability, her cognizant abilities and physical um, exercise as long as possible. And I believe that what helped us for so long um, to get her walking and being able to speak for as long as we had was that we changed, you know, how she ate in mm-hmm. terms of a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, you know, a lot of watching what was uh, what was going in. And I have to say, if you... If you saw her sitting down, you would just look and say, "I oh, my, my, she looks absolutely amazing. She looks absolutely amazing. And, you know, clean, skin is clear, you know, weight is good. Um, and it was because we changed a lot of the stuff that had, you know, how we approached it and what we would actually, um, uh, you know, feed her. So diet is, is tremendously important. And it helped me at the time. I'm sure it helps you now <clears throat> still as a runner. Um but one of the the silver lining in this, as we've hinted around, is that you you have a tremendous platform, being the county executive, and what you've managed to do in the county as far as dementia awareness has been really remarkable. Um, I have here in front of me, it's one of only six communities nationwide that received the invitation from the U.S. Against Alzheimer's uh, to participate in the National Dementia Friendly America Initiative. That's a big honor. It was, it was, we were absolutely thrilled. I mean, it came from the White House. The, um, after advocating on Capitol Hill for more money to go toward um, dementia and Alzheimer's research, uh, the White House put together uh, 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 this group and only invited a few counties and cities, and we got the invitation. Um, you know, working with U.S. against uh, Alzheimer's uh, to participate. And and what did that uh, bring to the county? I mean, obviously a lot of awareness, but I see like memory screenings were available and and things like that. I mean, we really used to. It gave us an opportunity to highlight the, some of the really good stuff we were doing in the county already with our um, family services and our and our health department, uh, not only for screening but for um, daycare and uh, and uh, before care uh, for for people um, uh, with memory and uh, challenges and um, and awareness. So that um, you know, I I I used to tell this story and I still do that. What made me aware of having a dementia-friendly county, um, why it was so important, is uh, you want to take your loved ones to their familiar places, right. whether it's church, whether it's the library, whether it's schools. And for me, you know, I was taking my wife to Capitol Hill, and um, this is when she could walk and, and was fairly verbal but still couldn't understand commands well. Um but I wanted to take her back to the place where she spent the bulk of her adult career, and right. I was working on Capitol Hill. 
And I was going through, you know, I made sure that, you know, because you have to go through these metal detectors. As best I could, I made sure I took off all of her jewelry. She liked a lot of jewelry. So each morning we put a lot on because that's what she did. Sure. So I made sure I got all of it off, I thought. And um, and I'm walking in there and, um, you know, I didn't take my detail with me, which I could have. But I was like, you know, I want this to be personal. And I just went, you know, as Rashawn Baker, not as county executive. And I walk in with her, and they make you walk in one at a time. I walk through, and then my wife walks through. And on the outside, it looks perfectly, you know, nothing wrong with her. The buzzer went off because mm-hmm. I had forgotten the earring that she had on. The buzzer going off, and the young lady who didn't know was saying to her, you need to go back um, at a higher pitch than was – my wife was used to and it frightened her and so she stood frozen and so the lady's telling her to go back I'm trying to talk to the the, the officer and say well look at if I can just talk to you over here because I don't want to say it you know something's wrong with her in front of her because right. that also sends other stuff and so for about five minutes which seemed like about five hours I'm at this point where I'm getting frustrated my wife's you know panicking and crying and the lady doesn't understand what's going on Finally, a gentleman in the back looked and he said, you know what? Um, he looks and he says, something's not right. He says, ma'am, just come on through. Right. And diffuse the situation. The reason I bring the story up is the idea is that in a society, what we want to make sure we're aware of is that a lot of people are going to have challenges. And so the more we can be aware of what the signs are, because if if we had had dementia friendly training at that time for these these officers, they could have looked at the signs and said, you know, okay, I understand, and it would have been simply, okay, ma'am, come through quietly. Let's go over here so it's not a big scene, and you know, talk to me about what was going on. Instead, what happened was I was so frustrated after that I just left. Yeah, you yeah. know, I just it just ruined the moment, and so. That's why we're proud of the work that we're doing in the county is to go to our faith community, our libraries, our, everywhere we go and say – and our police officers. So they're, when they're interacting with folks that they're aware of, you know, not following orders may not just be somebody not following orders. There may be something else there. And so what are the signs? And make them as aware as possible. Um, and, and that becomes – you know, very, very important, especially during the early stages of these things. That's 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 huge. And I think that given your story, and I believe that, you know, a, a large percentage of the residents in the county are, are familiar with it. As you roll out these initiatives and you do these community events, I'm sure that you've heard from other people oh, who are sharing a similar struggle. As soon as we did um, announce to, you know, the public that, um, that um, you know, my wife was – you know, we were going through this journey together. It's it's interesting. My my as I said, my <clears throat> my kids are uh, are amazing. Uh, when we were trying to make a decision as to whether we would go public or not, uh, my youngest daughter says to me, and I don't know if she remembered this. Um, I said, "Well, you know, we could we could just tell people that it's a personal issue and not tell them exactly what it is, mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't like my wife was going to be in public a lot after that, um, and." They were like, no, no, we 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 want to go public because we can't advocate if we don't put it put it out, you know, make it public. 
Uh, but the thing that got me was the youngest one said, you know, we can finally use that office of yours for something for to do some good. <laughs> yeah. The same one with the quote earlier? No, it's the other one. Okay. It was like, I thought about it. I was like, well, okay, well, she's got to push. She said, just think about it. You're a county executive. You know, you can now actually do something. You right. know, you're in that office. <laughs> I said, well, honey, I do good every day. Right, right. Believe it or not. But it, but but the point of it is, and you look at the initiatives that we started, not with just dementia friendly we started highlighting in a greater degree um caregiving uh financial um literacy and and getting families ready um we also it was very important that we have uh not only a relationship as a county with us against alzheimer's but also have our own chapter of the alzheimer's association right there in the county and have our own walk we went from not having an alzheimer's walk in Prince George's County because we simply um, didn't embrace the fact that this was happening to not only having a chapter, and this is how big this this is, um, in the African-American and Latino community, issues that have to deal with mental health are always taboo. Yeah. Um, and we're slow to get whether it is behavioral, uh, uh, psychiatrists, any of those things. So when you talk about the brain and a function – we we step back as a community as as and so in order to make this happen in in a vocal and visual way uh, we went on a mission to not just bring a chapter of the Alzheimer's Association with us but to get the faith community involved in a greater way so now we have not only days you know during the month where they have Alzheimer's awareness um, in our faith community throughout Prince George's County, but they stepped up to the plate. And when we did the Alzheimer's walked and you now find the people who raised the most money, uh, for this disease are coming from our faith and church communities that are putting these teams together, um, and really just bringing this awareness to us in a health issue that is, you know, crippling the United States. Yeah. And so, um, but we were able to do that by having these initiatives, by being very public, by putting more dollars. Like one of the things I'm proud about in this last budget is that we're actually going to pay for, going to pay for uh, one of the watches that people with um, memory uh, disorder will have that we'll give away free. Right. So that there has the GPS so when someone walks away, um, we can actually track them. I mean, to be able to go from this not being an issue eight years ago or talked about not that it wasn't an issue wasn't talked about the eight years ago to all these initiatives and programs in the county to being able to actually help somebody in the hardest part of dealing with this disease and that is what happens if your loved one walks away and they're an adult and you know you know i could tell you story after story that of things that happened to me but it it made me feel really good in my last budget as county executive that we put dollars in there that will make sure a family doesn't have to go through what we went through as in our personal life, but more so as a society when we lost in Prince George's County two individuals that had wandered away from their group. And if they'd had this tracking um, device, we could have found them uh, in time. But to be able to put that in the budget, to have the county council approve it, 
And now we're going to do something, you know, that's going to help families feel more secure, allow people to go to work and go about their daily lives knowing that they'll at least be able to find their loved ones. Uh, To me, that just seems like a a really phenomenal idea. I remember being a reporter and getting those alerts that, you know, there was an adult missing and uh, that they had Alzheimer's or dementia. And my heart just broke. I mean, knowing people in my own family that are are suffering and it's it's just a horrifying scenario. So mm-hmm. I think that that is, that is just a, a phenomenal idea. And I want to close with this thought. Uh, again, you're, to be commanded, because you, you've taken the county and really turned it into the model for other counties statewide to follow. Um, you guys are, are just a beacon um, of, of hope and of light and how to bring awareness and generate those dollars for research out there. But the caretaking is a major undertaking, but I never view it as a burden because it comes from a place of love. And when it comes from a place of love, how could it ever possibly be a burden? No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you know it firsthand. Uh, When you talk to people who have uh, uh, gone through this journey, that's the way they feel. It's like, okay, well, this is what you do. You know, my routine in the morning, if you saw it, you was like, wow. Um, But it's... you know, after almost uh, ten years, it's it's the routine. Yeah. So it's not a burden. It's not anything. In fact, um, you know, I look forward to my my shift uh, when I when I get home, and uh, I miss it when I can't do it in in the morning. But um, to be able to have a support mechanism for folks who are doing that is really important, and it, it makes us aware of it. It also made us aware um, because of the caregiving. Um, how important health and access to quality health care is yeah. and putting that uh, in a in a um, in a higher light. And so I'm very, very proud of the fact the county did that. But, yes, the caregiving is, you know, one of the biggest issues facing us as a society um, because, you know, most people are going to have some member of their family go through this in this journey at some point. And so the more that we can put, um, you know, um, information, support, relief, respite care uh, for the caregivers, the more the more our society is going to do well and we're going to be able to take care of our loved ones at home. One of the big pushes, and I'll, I'll end with this, is um, moving from, you know, just like we're moving away from, you know, uh, patients staying in the hospital to coming home you know, to recovery. It's the same thing with giving families the option of having their loved one be able to be with them as long as they can uh, with the support from the outside. It, you know, takes away from, you know, the cost of hospital stays. Yeah. Um, It also takes away from the cost of of individuals missing work, uh, financial burdens on families. So the more that we start looking at ways that we can actually make it better for folks to age in place and get the support mechanism, the better it's going to be for our society. And so I'm proud of the fact that the county is leading in in that effort. Well, I I appreciate you taking the time. I know that your schedule is uh, crazy hectic right now, and uh, I know that you want to get home. So uh, (laughs) why why don't we get you uh, you back there now? So uh, Rashawn Baker, County Executive for Prince George's County, thank you so very much for your time. It's, It's always a privilege and a lot of fun when you stop by. Thank you, Chuck. It's always a privilege to see you. You look great as always. 
the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Rolls along the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll still here with you. The show on Twitter at PCRM. Also hop on over to Facebook, like the Physicians Committee there as well. Also on the Instagram. If you're a social media person, we have you covered. We have information. We have inspiration. And the show now? Also on Spotify. This is a big deal, everybody. Spotify, three and a half million users. Every one of them now can hear the exam room. Spread the knowledge. And today we are spreading the knowledge about Alzheimer's. And joining the show, a friend and uh, the head guy here at the Physicians Committee, Dr. Neil Barnard. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be back. This is a subject that is near and dear, not just to my heart, but as we just heard with uh, the Prince George's County Executive and Gubernatorial Candidate, Rashern Baker, hit close to home for him with his wife being diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And five and a half, more than five and a half million Americans now, I understand, have been diagnosed with this disease. It is really, unfortunately, prevalent across this country, not just in America, but but worldwide. I'm curious, let's let's start with the, with the 50,000 foot view here and talk a little bit about what exactly the disease is for people who aren't yet familiar with it. Right. Uh, it's, you know, simply put, if you make a list of all the things you don't want to get, you know, all the diseases you don't want to, to have happen to you, Alzheimer's is at the top of that list because when you get Alzheimer's, you have lost everything. Mm. You've lost everything. You've lost everyone, whoever mattered to you. And the, what it looks like, obviously, is that a person loses their memory. And it starts off um, insidiously. Names, words drop out. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still yourself. You're driving. You're handling your checkbook okay. But what was the name of that actor? What was the name of somebody you might might know? You're in the grocery store. You see a friend. You can't come up with their name. Now, this happens to all of us right. from time to time, right. especially if you're a little sleep-deprived or jet-lagged. <laughs> It'll happen a lot. But, you know, normally people recover a little bit. You know, you get a good night's rest, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's happening every day and several times a day, then um, we call this a condition called mild cognitive impairment. And for some people, that's it. It's not going to get worse. But for others, that's a stepping stone to Alzheimer's. And with Alzheimer's, it's not just that you can't tr- you're having trouble remembering things. You're also having trouble taking things in. So it, it, the reason I can't remember it is I just couldn't figure it out in the first place. Right. So you were telling me about what happened to you, and I never I never even registered it. Their personality will start to change. Language will start to change. An ability to organize things in space, like draw a face. Can you get the eyes, the nose, the mouth in the right configuration? Or draw a clock. Can you, can you get the things in the right proportion? That visual spatial ability drops out. So you put all these things together, and a doctor will say, okay, you're having trouble learning you're having trouble remembering, visual spatial is gone, your language is starting to go, your personality is changing. That's when the doctors say, I think this is Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Now, they can't make the diagnosis definitively until they actually get a piece of the brain, which unfortunately is usually on aut- autopsy. Right. Um, but there you see what's happening. And what has been happening is inside the brain, in between the normal brain cells, you start to see little microscopic meatballs. They're not meatballs. What they are is beta amyloid plaques, but they're collections of protein in the brain. And within the brain cells themselves, the proteins that make up the the normal brain 
uh, structure right. are being damaged and are not in alignment. And eventually the brain cells themselves start to diminish, start to die off. And if a person who's had this disease for a while, their brain is, is shrinking. Um, it's, it's just not, it's, the brain is literally just dying away. And it's, uh, it's obviously a tragedy. So, uh, I mean, we, we were talking about pretty much a, a total communication disruption in the brain. As we just heard with uh, M- Mr. Baker, his wife diagnosed early onset, and it, she really, unfortunately, deteriorated rapidly. Now she's at a point, she's still alive, she can still function somewhat, but she can't even talk. Right. And so do, do you have any clue as to why it progresses quicker in some people than it does in others? Um, there are cases – the vast majority of cases occur fairly late in life. Right. Um, but there are cases that occur earlier. Um, part of it is genetic, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a number of different genes that appear to influence how often or how early it will occur and whether you get it or not. And doctors can test for this. I'm not necessarily recommending doing genetic testing. But there is a gene called the ApoE Epsilon 4 allele. This will not be on the test. <laughs> but but if, you, if you got this gene from one parent, your risk is tripled. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got it from both parents, you know, you always get one gene from mom and one from dad. Right, right. Um, if you get it from both, your risk is 10 to 15 times higher than it would be for somebody else. Wow. That's the bad news. Okay. Um, if you've got those genes, there's nothing you can do about the gene. Right. However, it turns out that e- – and hopefully we'll get to this in our conversation. Sure, sure. Even in people who are at genetic risk because your parents gave you the genes, even in those people, it turns out that if you change your diet, you can go a long way toward preventing this disease, um, which is something that blew me away when we first started seeing this. Um, but we do believe, first of all, food plays a huge role in whether you get Alzheimer's or not. Secondly, even if you got the genes, foods can help protect you according to the best evidence that we have. Okay. We're definitely going to uh, touch on that. I, I want to go back to what you were talking about, about the physical changes of the brain. One of the things in recent years that's been in the news a lot, especially with the athletes, is CTE. And you look at the brain and you can tell big physical changes, like by appearance, by examining the brain, this is the trauma that they've suffered. I'm assuming you say that you can identify Alzheimer's in autopsy. If you were to examine the brain of a person with Alzheimer's physically, have you ever seen that compared to a normal brain? Um, You can do it in in two ways. Um, One is that you can take a brain biopsy. You just remove some tissue. And um, Back when Dr. Alzheimer himself mm-hmm. identified this, and I believe it was 1906, he saw these pathological changes that I mentioned, mm-hmm. the little beta amyloid plaques and the changes in the, in the neurons, and, and you will see that. Um, but people typically don't want to do that. It's an invasive, invasive test. And there is um, more use of scanning right. uh, as well. And some people will even do spinal taps and look at the cerebrospinal fluid. Mm-hmm. There are other ways of, of looking at the disease, but typically the disease is diagnosed uh, clinically, meaning uh, the doctor looks through a checklist of functional changes in the person's life, right. and with pretty good accuracy, you you could spot Alzheimer's. Right. I'm talking uh, post mortem in, in particular. It is I mean, if I had a normal brain in one hand and the brain of somebody with Alzheimer's in the other, post mortem, would I be able to tell a difference between the two on site? It's 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 very obvious. Um, the the Alzheimer's brain is. Sh- is shrinking. It, it's it's 
the the brain cell the brain cells start to go abnormal and then they just die and as they die they disappear and the brain just shrinks down like a wilted cauliflower physically shrinks i did oh the the change is dramatic wow I did not know that. And, and that accounts for, for why the person is losing so many functions. You know, right. they're, they're losing their ability to remember, and they're losing their ability to, to handle themselves physically. Um, and in, in the beginning stages, it's a little bit like childhood in reverse. A baby is born, the baby cries, and it takes some time for the baby to learn to inhibit the crying and to form words. The baby will throw things or break things, and it takes some time for the baby to learn to inhibit that mm-hmm. and to move more... Uh, cautiously and more, uh, more in a more sophisticated way. Um, when we reach the end of life and Alzheimer's kicks in, the inhibitions are lost first. So you can still scream and cry, but your ability to make out to make the words or to to hold back things um, is is lost. So it's, it's a tragic disease. And it seems like you know we're talking about personality changes. We're talking about language. Alzheimer's then is attacking every part of the brain. It's kind of indiscriminate, it sounds like. It's, yes, exactly. You don't want it. Let's talk about the causes, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with, with the good news, so to speak. Right. So in your studies, what have you identified as some of the leading causes of Alzheimer's, or at least things that really increase the risk that a person will develop the disease. I think the real pioneering work here was done in Chicago. 1993, the Chicago Health and Aging Project got started. And they weren't intervening. They weren't testing a new medicine or anything. All they did was round up a lot of people in Chicago, and they looked at what did you have for breakfast. <laughs> okay. What did you have? And, and I don't mean Chicago is different from anywhere else. It's right. Not, it's not. Uh, study, studies that are very similar have been done in New York, also in Europe. Um, but they looked at breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks, and they started tracking what people ate day after day. And then they looked to see who stayed mentally clear and who did not. And in 2003, they, the, the, the uh, researchers at the, in the Chicago study really just blew me away with findings that they had come up with. The, the first thing relates to bad fat, saturated fat, which people have been concerned about saturated fat because of heart disease. Right. It raises your cholesterol level. Right. However, it does a lot more than that. Uh, some people in Chicago tend to avoid the saturated fat. That's um, dairy fat, okay. also also in meat. It's, it's the solid fat. Yeah. Um, some people don't eat that much of it. Some people eat a lot of it. Uh, turns out that the people who ate the most saturated fat had about three times the risk of getting Alzheimer's compared to the people who ate the least. Hmm. So... That's frightening for people who are eating bacon and cheese, but it's the best news ever for people who think, wait a minute, suddenly you're giving me something I can act on. I can avoid those foods. Then they looked at trans fats, the, the partially hydrogenated oils that used to be used in a lot of snack foods, right. and thankfully they're pretty much gone right now. Um, but same story. They would increase the risk too. Um, and so there, there's much more to the story than that, but, but just from knowing that the foods that are bad for your heart are also bad for your brain. And if you avoid those, it's good for your heart, good for the brain. That gave us our first inkling that we can do something with this disease. So if something triples the risk of Alzheimer's and you avoid it, you've cut your risk to a third. What, what specifically is it about those fats that is so detrimental to brain health? What we think it is, is mediated through cholesterol. Now, I, sh- I should say we're not sure, right. but researchers at Kaiser Permanente did an interesting study. They brought in about 10,000 people. They checked their cholesterol levels because cholesterol is 
is um, raised by these same fats. Correct. And what they showed was that as time went on over the next three decades, those people who had the most, uh, the highest cholesterol levels had the highest risk of developing Alzheimer's. So what we think is going on is that you're eating bacon, you're eating cheese, you're eating even fish, things that have cholesterol and have, have some saturated fat in them. That tends to make the cholesterol, the, the blood cholesterol level go up a little bit, bad for your heart, but also seems to be affecting the brain. Um, and conversely, if a person is avoiding those foods and their cholesterol comes down or they lower their cholesterol with medication, uh, they will tend to do better, generally speaking. Now, medications have untoward effects right. as well, but um, the general thought is that it has something to do with cholesterol. Now, now, it might be a different action. It may not just be that cholesterol narrows the arteries to the brain. Yeah, it will, it will do that. Sure. But it may actually act on the brain tissue itself. Now, is there a correlation between say, the kind of meat and the risk associated with Alzheimer's, the processed meat versus a chicken breast or something like that? Fascinating question. Um, it, it leads maybe to the next part of the cause. Um, it turns out that iron may contribute. Um, and you can get iron from a cast iron pan that right. you cook in all the time. But you also can get iron from meat. In fact, in the 50s, it was promoted for that reason. Sure. Have more steak. You're, in fact, I'm, I'm sorry to say that even to this day, some people say, you know, you're a little low in iron. Why don't you have some good red meat? Um, it will give you iron. Your body needs a trace of iron. Right. If you have an overload of iron, which is easy to get if you're a meat eater, the iron tends to produce, in your body, iron is an unstable molecule. It tends to produce what are called free radicals. Okay. The more iron you consume, the more free radicals form. Free radicals are just molecules in your blood that attack the skin leading to aging. They attack the chromosomes leading to mutations. They attack the brain, too. So certain metals play a role, um, and meat gives you iron. Uh, copper, same story. You, you know how, how uh, iron will rust. That's oxidation. Right. Copper oxidizes, too. A, a shiny penny, as the years go by, right. turns dark brown, turns right. almost blackish. That's oxidation of copper. When you consume foods with copper, which you need a little bit of copper, but if you get too much, um, your body will tend to um, uh, develop more free radical attacks as well. But I got to tell you, speaking of metals, the one that is really hotly controversial and and a curious thing is aluminum. Really now? You get an aluminum pot or aluminum pan. Mm -hmm. You cook your spaghetti sauce in it for a while and it sits there you know, for a couple of hours. Some of that aluminum is coming out of the pan, getting into your food. And we always thought it was pretty innocuous. Who cares? You know, we've all had that cheap aluminum pan or, or an aluminum soda can or something. Researchers in England looked at water, drinking water, mm -hmm. because when, when, when uh, the water comes out of the river or out of the well, it might be a little bit murky, they would add aluminum salts to it to precipitate the, the, the solids out. Right. Traces of aluminum would stay in the water. The counties in England with the most aluminum in the drinking water had 50% higher risk of Alzheimer's compared to the counties that were generally aluminum-free. Uh, researchers did the same study in France, same finding. Uh, looked in Canada, same story. Um, aluminum started to get implicated here, too. And I think we are right to be careful about it because, for two reasons. In industrial accidents... You're in a, a factory that's using aluminum, and if you're exposed to a huge amount of aluminum, it's a clear-cut 
toxic agent to the brain. Right. It causes brain damage. Right. The other thing about aluminum, unlike iron, where you need a little bit of iron. Right. And, and you need a little bit of copper. But your body does not use aluminum for anything. It has no physical role in the body. Hmm. In fact, your body's trying to keep it out. Right. And so it looks like aluminum can be toxic to the brain. And I will never forget, my dad, um, my dad was a smart guy. Um, but he became demented um, in his early 70s or thereabouts and died after, I mean, just a horrible down, downhill right. course. But as I was thinking back, um, he had an acid stomach and he used Maalox. Now, there's a lot of different antacids, um, but Maalox means magnesium and aluminum hydroxide. You're just drinking aluminum. I remember. Yeah, my grandma used to use that all the time. Yeah. Now, if you'd pick Tums, they don't have any aluminum in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but aluminum is in a lot of things, um, and I think we can avoid it completely. Now, 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 let me caution and say there are good neurologists who disagree. Right. There are, I think the bulk of evidence is implicating aluminum, but there are good neurologists who don't agree. And they, they may well be right. It may well be that we'll decide aluminum is a complete innocent bystander. However, we have enough evidence now that it's toxic and you don't need it, and there is no risk to avoiding it. So I say let them do the research. For now, steer clear. Well, that kind of concerns me saying that. Like, I carry around this Oh, that sounds like a like a boxing bill. Uh, but this, you know, every every day with me, you know, carry it around, try to be, you know, eco friendly uh, with the can of water here, right? Refillable. That kind of gives me a little bit of pause there. Well, I I think it should. Um, the real question is what's in contact with the water. If it if it is coated, it's okay. You can have a, a fry pan mm-hmm. that may be made of aluminum, but if it has a coating, right, so that the aluminum doesn't touch the food, you're fine. Now, I have to say, I've gotten nervous about this mm-hmm. and myself, and I have a, a good pan that I recently bought. And many good fry pans are layers. They'll have a steel layer and an aluminum layer and another, another steel layer and another aluminum layer. For my money, you want maybe a good nonstick surface. Sure. But the, the layer under that, you want that to be steel. Okay. Not not aluminum because thing because the 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 aluminum will leach into it. Right. And there might be a little cut or something, and it's easy for aluminum to get into foods. Um, so antacids, um, aluminum uh, cookware. Your water may have aluminum in it. Right. Um, most places, many places, use aluminum to remove uh, the solids in the water, but they will then remove the aluminum. Right. And the EPA can report the aluminum levels in your water. You'll, you go to the EPA website. It will report it. If you do not find it, you can get bottled water. And I'm not talking about necessarily these throwaway bottles. I'm talking about get a, a big bottle of water delivered to your home. Sure. And all the, all the bottled waters I have seen are aluminum-free. Right. Uh, I assume then that uh, exercise caution with uh, like you know, canned drinks and, and yeah. things like that as well? Um, for lots of reasons, right. obviously. But, <laughs> sure. um, but even if it's um, a canned soda water or something like that, um, some of that aluminum could, could end up in, in what you're drinking. So a glass bottle is going to be a better choice for you. Sure. Uh, um, oh, by the way, one thing. Yes. A lot of people get a filter, water, water filter. Right. Like, uh, yeah, okay. Good idea. The snap-on ones do not remove aluminum. If you want to knock out the aluminum, you've got to get a reverse osmosis filter. It'll cost you a couple hundred bucks. Okay. It's the one that goes under your sink. Right. And those work. But it's worth it. That's a good investment. It's worth it or, or, or else you, if, if you're not sure or if you've got copper pipes. I was just talking about yeah. risk of copper. Use it to wash your clothes. Use it to wash your hands. You can even use it to bathe. 
But what you drink or what you cook with um, should be clean. And if you're unsure about your water, use uh, bottled water or filtered water. Interesting. Um, one of the things, if you go into a, a vitamin store, even a grocery store, you know, they've got these big aisles of, of vitamins there in the stores is you see one, you've got your multivitamins, but then you also have iron supplements or a copper supplement or something like that. Why is oh, it that, I'll tell you. Yeah. T- tell me about that. Why is it that people think, wow, I need this iron supplement? And if you're saying that we only need a trace, I can guarantee there's far more than a trace in these supplements that you'll be popping. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, the typical daily multiple vitamins that people take, mm-hmm. their selling point is they give you everything. Right. Um, they've got all the vitamins. They've got all, all the minerals, including iron, including copper. Um, because up until maybe the 1980s or 1990s, we thought iron was innocuous. The more, the better. If you're tired, have more iron. Of course, people are tired for other reasons. Sure. Um, it doesn't relate to their yeah, iron status. Of course. Um, but we started to learn that people with more too much iron in their blood had more heart problems, mm-hmm. uh, premature aging, and now we know it affects the brain. Um, so uh, Centrum, as an example, makes Centrum silver. Silver, you're over 50, um, so they leave the iron out. Good move. But they're 20 years behind the science. They leave the copper in, so you're overdosing with copper uh, with these multiple vitamins too. Dag on. So, yeah, I, I don't recommend multiple vitamins anymore. Now, you do need some vitamins. Right. You and I have talked about this. We, sure. need, we need B12. Right. If you're not getting sunlight, you need vitamin D. Th- those two, B12 and D. You're better off going to the store, the uh, drugstore or the health food store, and getting a B12 supplement, getting a D supplement, and not taking the multiple vitamin because there's not going to be any iron or any copper in your vitamin B12 or vitamin D supplement. By the way, let me give the numbers yeah. for anyone who's listening to this. Um, for B12, you need 2.4 micrograms per day. Um, they, all the supplements have more than that. Right, of course. So, so you just go to the, the store and get the smallest one you can, you can find and, and take it. You'll be fine. And you can't, you can't hurt yourself by, by taking more. Uh, for, for vitamin D, about 2,000 international units. It'll say on the label 2,000 IUs right. a day. That's, a, that's, that's good. Now, if you live in Miami and you're getting sunlight all the time, you do not need to supplement vitamin right. D. No to Miami listeners. If you have the bad judgment to grow up in North Dakota, as I did, <laughs> uh, you're, not, you're not working on your tan most much of the time. Um, you, a vitamin D supplement will come in handy. Uh, while we're on the subject, there are uh, various types of vitamin D supplements. Or which one specifically are we referring to here? Um, people will talk about D2 okay. or D3. Mm-hmm. Uh, to tell you the truth, they both work. Okay. Um, it historically, vitamin D two was the vegan one mm-hmm. and was was very widely used. And when it, when it was added to breakfast cereals, that's the one they used. It's fine. Uh, D three actually comes from sheep. Really, uh, it comes from. Sh- this sounds very peculiar. You take sheep wool, you pull the lanolin out, and the vitamin D three happens to be in it. Um, nowadays, you can go to the store and they sell D three that is vegan. It's it's. Uh, no sheep involved. Um, some people will say its absorption is better. That may well be true, but both D2 and D3 work. Interesting. Uh, with or without the calcium, as long as we're just covering the supplements here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, so moral of the story, avoid the bad fats. Avoid these uh, metals. You need a little iron, which you're going to get from green leafy vegetables. There is all the copper you need in grains and beans and vegetables, that kind of diet. Do not take them as supplements. All right. So that's what we don't want. Let's talk about the foods then. We're going to end on the high note here. The foods that have been shown to lower the risk of developing Alzheimer's. And I know that there is clear science and plenty of data supporting that a plant-based diet will do just that. Yeah. Um, 
first of all, yes, exactly. Uh, first of all, let's say all you do is you avoid the bad fats. Right. There was a research study in Finland where they looked at people having memory problems later in life. And they first looked at saturated fat. And the people who avoided saturated fat did better. Mm -hmm. But then they zeroed in on people who were at genetic risk, the people who had that ApoE epsilon 4 allele, the one that condemns you. Right. Um, Looking at just those people, the ones who avoided the saturated fat. I'm talking avoid the cheese. Right, right. Avoid the meat. The, The cheese and meat, those are the top two sources. The people who avoided them cut their risk of memory problems by 80%. 80%. I'm talking about people who had the gene. Um, if they attempted to avoid it, they did well. Um, now, I think we need more research. I think we need to try this more. And I think we need additional steps. But, but just avoiding the bad stuff is really, really powerful and really good. Wow. But, Chuck, you asked me about other things, things sure. I can add. There was something in the Chicago study, the Chicago Health and Aging Project study that I, I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. There was something in the diet that cut the risk of Alzheimer's by about 50%, cut your risk in half. And what it was was vitamin E, not in pills, vitamin E in nuts, in seeds. And and there are traces of it in things like spinach and mangoes, many other foods. And in my book, Power Foods for the Brain, actually, I I list them. But what they found was that when people ate a, a pretty good dose of vitamin E, their risk of Alzheimer's was cut by about half. Wow. Now, a person listening to this podcast is going to say, great, I'm going to run to the store and I'm going to get a vitamin E supplement just to make sure I'm safe. And you know what? It doesn't work. No. It, 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 studies of vitamin E supplementation have not shown any benefit for Alzheimer's. And the reason I believe is that vitamin E comes in nature in eight different forms. In a pill, it might come in one form. Maybe two. And if you overdose on just one form because you're swallowing this pill, it inhibits your absorption of the other forms. So nature had the idea that we would eat food. And we've been getting along with these foods for a long period of time, and they give you the eight forms of vitamin E that your body needs. And you take a pill that just has one, you're completely distorting that and keeping some of them out of your body when you need them. Wow. Do not. No, there's sometimes where pills are good. Right. Vitamin B12, the pills are fine. They work great. Vitamin D, fine. But for vitamin E, skip it. Interesting. Get, get it from food. Now, uh, I can also hear the, the people thinking, you're listening to this podcast, and Dr. Brino just said nuts and seeds, and you probably know, uh-oh, those are the fatty, fattier foods. Right. I'm going to gain a, a lot of weight. And you may. Um, you take some nuts, some almonds, put them in your hand, eat them. That was delicious. Oh. Have some more. Uh-huh. Pretty soon, the pack is empty. Right. And you've just gotten, you know, hundreds of calories that you didn't need. So here, here is my advice. I uh, have an ounce, about an ounce of nuts or seeds a day. An ounce is you take the nuts, pour them in the palm of your hand. Once it hits your fingers, stop. That's an ounce. Okay. Now, don't eat it. Crumble it and put it on your cereal, put it on your oatmeal, put it on your pancakes because you're using it as an ingredient. You're not using it as a major food group. If, if you just shove it in your mouth, I, you're, you're going to be refilling your hand. Right. So crumble them up. Use them. Use nuts and seeds as a flavoring. Gotcha. Is there any one that you would recommend more so than another? Um, there are many good nuts and seeds, but probably at the top of the list would be walnuts and almonds. Okay. Um, cashews, uh, less so. Right. Uh, peanuts, less so. Interesting. Uh, okay. So nuts and, and seeds, and y- you combine all of that together. 
eliminating the meat and the dairy, which you said that alone there was a study that showed up to 80%, correct? Right. Then you add the nuts and the seeds. You avoid the other things. You introduce a little bit more vitamin E. Ah, uh, oh, let me give you something oh, else. Oh, but wait, there's more. There's, but wait, <laughs> there's more. Chuck, I got to tell you. Um, there was an amazing study done at the University of Cincinnati. They brought in people, average age 78. Oh, ooh, okay. They, they, they already had mild cognitive dysfunction. These, these are people who are having memory issues. Right. And what they gave them was grape juice. Now, why, why, would you, why the heck would you do that? Because med- studies from the Mediterranean have shown that red wine seems to reduce the risk. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the alcohol. Maybe it's something in the grape. Uh, th- after three months, they showed that their learning was better and their retention and, and recall was better. So, all right, that sounds a little too easy. Uh, it, was, it was a fair amount. It was a pint of grape juice per day. Mm-hmm. So a cup in the morning, a cup at night. Uh, they went back to the lab and said, let's try something else, like blueberries. Same, same benefit. Um, now, why? A grape has a rough life. It's sitting on the vine all day long. Those poor grapes. <laughs> Those poor grapes. It's, it's, it's getting exposed to the sun and the, the elements. And so plants need antioxidants just like people do. Um, and so where are the antioxidants? Well, you can see them a mile away. It's that bright purple color. They're called anthocyanins, but those are antioxidants in the grape. Uh, there are many variants of them. Blue, blueberries have them. Uh, anthocyanins are the reason that leaves turn color in the fall because the leaf starts making these anthocyanins. So um, don't just add your nuts and seeds a little bit, but add brightly colored fruits and vegetables. You already know beta carotene, orange, carrots, sweet potatoes. Yes, good. Lycopene, red, tomatoes, good. Purple, anthocyanins, blueberries, grapes. Uh, Also in strawberries, that reddish, that's actually anthocyanins. Um, So eat those and... But wait, there's yet more. Lace up your sneakers. Get it going. Lace up your sneakers. Researchers at University of Illinois brought in people, uh, also elderly, also having memory problems. Uh, they asked them to take a brisk walk. It started out 10 minutes, 10-minute walk, mm-hmm. three times a week. Next week, 15 minutes. Next week, 20 minutes. And they worked their way up to a 40-minute walk, three times a week. And after a year, they found two things. Number one, their memory was better. Their recall was better. Secondly, they did brain scans and measured the size of the hippocampus, which is the, the, the seat of memory in the brain. Right. It had been shrinking. It shrinks for a lot of older folks. The shrinking was reversed and started to go back. Now, don't get me wrong. You're not going to live forever. Sure. But these simple diet changes can reverse some aspects of aging and can reverse some aspects of memory problems and I believe can prevent the vast majority of cases of Alzheimer's disease. That's fantastic. That's very promising because I know that when people hear that word or they have a family member that's been diagnosed with it, you feel this sense of dread wash over you because you know the inevitability here. And it just seems like, you know, there's pills. The the treatments were were quite limited. But what you just said gives a lot of people a lot of hope. And even more so, as we've talked about during this half hour, if you take those steps, if you know that – you may be at an elevated genetic risk to have that. If you take these steps and you watch your diet and you eat the things that you should, more importantly, you don't eat the things that you shouldn't, you have a much better chance of not developing that disease yourself. That's what all the research is showing. Now, don't get me wrong. We do need more research. We need to look at this more. We need, we need to implement it. And studies are, are starting to test this. 
in human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's all to the good. But don't wait. There is every reason to adopt a healthy diet, get the junk out. And if it's just to lose weight, fine. Uh, the side effect is it's going to help your heart, it's going to help your brain, it's going to help in every way. I, that's that's the thing that I love about doing this show and, and working with the Physicians Committee is I'm telling you, it's like the link between nutrition and, <laughs> and all of these diseases and, and your health. I mean, it's just every day I come in here and my mind is blown because we're talking about, you know, eating the various colored fruits and, and vegetables there. And I'm like, lycopene, good. Orange, beta carotene, good. Eat the rainbow, good for Alzheimer's, good for cancer, good for diabetes, good for so many different things. The science as you said, still needs to be more of it. Very promising, more so for me. Very, very fascinating. I, I really think it is. You know, in the past, people thought of this as kind of soft. You're talking about eating fruits and vegetables, and doctors didn't take a big interest in it because it doesn't really sound like chemistry. Yeah. Um, however, what we've started to understand is if you, if you look into a blueberry or a grape <laughs> or a carrot or a tomato or whatever, and you discover what those molecules inside it are doing, how they protected that plant, how they enter the human body, what they do when they get there. These are the most targeted, smart drugs that we could have, and, yeah. they, and they come from nature, and we evolved along with them. Now, there are drugs for treating Alzheimer's disease. I have to tell you, they are pathetic. Cool. Um, they really are not very helpful. I'm not saying they should not be prescribed, but every doctor who prescribes them has very little hope mm. that they will do very much. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully we'll get better ones, but but the answer now is all about prevention. One other thing, by the way. Sure. Every listener to this program, you're getting intellectual exercise, you're probably getting some physical exercise, and I'm sure you're making steps to eat better. There's one thing that you're not doing. You're not sleeping enough. And, what, and this probably goes for you. Guilty. Guilty. And, and me too. <laughs> um, I don't care how good your book is. I don't care how good the TV show is. I don't care how good this podcast is. Once it gets to be 10.00, turn out the light and go to sleep. Um, wake up early if you need to. But nighttime is when your brain wants to reorganize things. Um, it's like a construction crew. Okay, the, the, the rush hour is gone. We can fix all the potholes. And that's what your brain is trying to do at night. And if you stay up all night long, your brain cannot heal. Um, so whether it comes to physical exercise mental exercise you got to stop recover let your brain do that too that is interesting all right i never thought of it like the construction crew coming in filling potholes and all of those things um we got to wrap this up but thank you for your time i will say uh we have a ton of resources on pcrm.org uh for alzheimer's we have links to studies we have uh, nutrition guides that you may want to follow and if you'd like to be more hands-on about it we also have the 21 day vegan kickstart program we can kind of get you going in that direction as well maybe you have a friend or a family member who might be curious about it that would be a great place for them to start if you're a little bit more advanced you might want to try what the food for life courses that kind of builds community right they do and uh, check out power foods for the brain uh, it's a book that I published a number of years ago but it all of these themes uh, and including the scientific resources are, are all in there too and, and the recipes put it to work as well awesome and we'll, we'll put up a link to that book on uh, pcrm.org slash podcast as well uh, fresh out of time this week but thank you as always this has been a real treat great thank you Chuck. Thank you.